I think one of the worst things when you're doing um, these kind of podcasts is dead time, like what I just did. So I guess that's a no-no. You're not supposed to do stuff like that. But again, I'm not Mr. Professional, so. That's okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, man. So yeah, there's, um, there is way too much going on. Yeah. Where would you like to start, man? Oh, I mean, there's no, so right? much. <laughs> it's, it's so much happening. It's almost like, you know, if I send you stuff, and by the time you get it, it's 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 changed. But yeah. you know what? I'll lead off with this one article, and I have to just read the headline. Um, Jan Markell, which you know, and mm-hmm. um, you've been on her show. Yeah. And that's where actually I heard of you first before, you know, with Eric. I didn't know gotcha. you guys were, you know, um, chums. And so, yeah. <laughs> so she sends out her newsletter quite often. And... Um, and in the newsletter, not this week, I think it was last week's, she sent an article that really got my attention, and it should get the attention of most Christians. And I'm just going to read you the, um, the title. And the title says, Why America's Record Godlessness is Good News for the Nation. And I'm just going to go ahead and read just the first short paragraph, and I want to get your take on this. It says the secularization of U.S. society, the waning of religious faith, practice, and affiliation is continuing at a dramatic and historically unprecedented pace. While many may consider such a development as cause for concern, such a worry is not warranted. This increasing godlessness in America is actually a good thing and to be welcomed and embraced. So... It's, it's telling us that, man, we shouldn't uh, be discouraged. We shouldn't, you know, be encouraged and, and embrace this godlessness. <laughs> so why don't, we, yeah, why don't we just start off there? We'll just start off with a big bang. Let's, let's, uh, sure. let's hear what your take is on that. Well, it, this, this is because prophecy um, it has a bittersweet element to it. And I think that's probably what Jan's trying to get at. And, uh, you know, you can turn Revelation 10 and John was told to eat a little book that um, would uh, taste sweet, but um, upset his stomach. And that's kind of the idea, I think, what Jan's trying to get across and what I would even say, too, because none of us like to see the way the country's going or the world's going. I mean, lawlessness, evil, wickedness, it's on full display, no doubt about that. But at the same time, as a prophecy student, you're seeing something behind just the evil, and the, the issue, what you're seeing is the providence of God leading the world in this direction towards the tribulation. Um, and so prophetically, yeah, it's, it's bitter, but it's sweet in, in, in the other sense of seeing this is what was predicted, and it's coming to, uh, to a head. And, you know, every, everything we can talk about today is leading up to that seven-year tribulation period, obviously. And so because of that, um, I think that's where um, I think that's what she's trying to get across. That's why you'll hear prophecy guys say this is the most exciting times to live in, obviously. And yet it's the worst of times. So it's like that book, you know, that the, it's the best of times, or the worst of times. Right. And so I think that's as prophecy students, how we start seeing the world in two elements. We see, yes, the evil, but we yet we see the prophecy being fulfilled. So at that point, um, 
we can celebrate what God is doing and the fact that, hey, everything he said is happening. Amen to that. But at the same time, it is hard to watch um, the evil that he did predict would happen. And not that he caused it, but he did predict this would happen. And, and we're now seeing the spirit of lawlessness. So that's kind of how I would, uh, I would take it. I would say this. Some Christians have a hard time doing that. They have a hard time with two different narratives going on in their head. And uh, the Bible, as you know, if you read it, has multiple narratives. You're supposed to see this in multiple layers um, of what's happening. And um, that's the challenge for believers is to, to have multiple narratives going on at the same time. Yeah. Um, uh, Pastor Tom Hughes and Eric uh, did. Uh, Pastor Tom Hughes just released it, but they did an interview not too. I think it was in February. Um, it just aired. Uh, I might link to that so that everybody could check that out. But he kind of made uh, mention of God. Eric said, God is allowing these things to happen. Yeah. But um, it's not like, so, so let me see where I'm going with this. He said, God's allowing, and I, I took notes of this, the difference between God caused this versus God is allowing this. And there's there's a huge difference between yeah. those two elements, right? Right, exactly. So not to fall into that, uh, the mistake of saying, well, God, you know, this is all God's doing. Well, God is allowing it. So what exactly does that mean? And for those people that are maybe struggling with that duality, you know what I mean? How do you clarify God's not causing this? We know that, but he's allowing it. Obviously, like in the book of Job, he allowed that to happen, right? Sure. So everything that's going on now, what, you know, give us, give us. Yeah. A, I, I think theologically what people have to keep in mind is that they're, they, that God has multiple wills. Um, what I mean by that is that you have God's sovereign will that, you know, Hey, whatever he wants to have happen because he is sovereign, he can do it. I'm not a Calvinist. So I don't believe in determinism. I don't believe in fatalism. Um, but God has built into the, his plan free will. Does God know what his free will creatures will do? Of course he does. He's omniscient. And therefore, that's why he can predict what's going to happen. Can he also work behind the scenes, what we call providence, and, and also working in the free will of people uh, and his creatures in order to accomplish his goals? Uh, yes, like we saw with the cross and what we're going to see with the second coming and big ticket items like that. And so you have to be real careful because um, this gets into Calvinism when you start saying God decreed evil to happen. Right. That's where I think the Calvinists make a big mistake and would make the mistake prophetically if they brought their Calvinism into prophecy. Prophecy is, is predictive, no doubt, and God knows what's going on, but he doesn't cause it. Does he allow it? Yes. That's where we call God's permissive will. And, that, and, and in God's permissive will... There's a certain amount of freedom that he gives his creatures, human beings, fallen angels, whatever, the ability to exercise their freedom. And, and does God want them to do it? No, but it's his permissive will that's happening. So prophetically, what we're seeing, and you know, like Tom Hughes and Eric are saying, is prophecy is watching God's permissive will of allowing lawlessness, allowing evil, because what it does is it accomplishes a goal. So this is how powerful God is. He can use the free, we, free will actions of his creatures in order to accomplish his purposes. That's the Joseph principle per se. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. 
Right. And that's, believe it or not, what the tribulation, the tribulation is about no doubt judgment, but it does accomplish other things that people who study prophecy realize it's going to accomplish the national salvation of Israel. Number one, that's a good thing. Yes. Does Israel have to get put in the vice grip and be hunted down by the antichrist? Yes. But even on an individual level, you and I would say uh, for a family member or somebody that we love, we want them to be saved. Well, God, we would pray, God, do anything you can to shake that person up, to wake them up to salvation. Well, that's what he's going to do to the nation of Israel through the tribulation. Yeah. And so there's good things that actually come out of that with him allowing this. Right. Yeah. And that's the main that's the main purpose um, of the tribulation, really. Yeah. It's, a that's break why it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Yep, exactly. Right. And and we other things uh, of there's a major Gentile salvation that right. happens in the first half, it appears, obviously Israel. Um, and then obviously the it's the tribulation also satisfies the angelic conflict. It deals with the angelic conflict. And that's another narrative that's going concurrently with you know human redemption and israel and things of that nature so there are actually good things you know the the final solution to satan obviously you know um the destruction of uh the satanic trinity with the false prophet and the, the antichrist being thrown into the lake of fire um and then the binding of satan after that for a thousand years for a thousand years you know um well it god was able to crush the satanic trinity Mm-hmm. And then Satan will eventually be judged and released at the end of the, the millennium, but he's eventually be, he's going to be judged. But that's another layer. Yeah. And what you start realizing is that's how powerful God is, that he can allow this kind of freedom of Satan, the Antichrist, whatever, and accomplish his goals. Yeah. That's that's absolutely amazing. Um, and, and so... People have to realize Christianity is not fatalism. God doesn't decree the raping of people. He doesn't decree that evil will happen. Does he allow evil? Yes, because he allows freedom. So real quick, before we keep going on, um, why don't you tell us what fatalism is, if you can just kind of sum it up real quick. Yeah, well, fatalism was brought into Christianity um, by Augustine. And it's, that's the little history about it. And fatalism is the, is the idea, if you go into pagan, paganism, Gnosticism, whatever it, uh, you want to call it, was the idea that you can't change anything about your life. You can't change the direction. It, the gods, the pagan gods have already said it. Mm-hmm. Your destiny is set and you can never change your destiny. And furthermore, beyond just the personal person, the the world is set it it can never change the gods have determined that this is the way things will go okay so then you that was brought into christianity and unfortunately it got brought in under the guise of calvinism we call it calvinism it's really augustinianism augustinian destroyed eschatology and it destroyed free will because now you have a situation where people are now thinking that god is decreeing evil and, and or or that a person cannot make a decision to accept Christ uh, on their own by expressing faith. That God actually has to go in and ontologically change them, uh, make them born again first, and then they can believe. Yeah. And He only does that to a several people or a, a select group of people. That is pagan fatalism. No free will. No free will. 
they'll say you have free will, but what free will is it that God has to regenerate me first right. without believing? That's crazy. Yeah. That's not taught in the scripture. It says it's backwards. It's backwards. Yes. Yeah. You got it. Because scripture teaches believe and you will be given eternal life. Right. Or be, be regenerated. Yeah. Okay. So that seeped into the church under Reformed theology. Now, when I talk about Reformed theology, um, we're talking about the Reformers, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, which these guys really did damage eschatol to eschatology. Because basically, the eschatology of Reformed churches is nothing more than either all millennium, post millennium, which they got from Augustine. And and so now this is why, to lead into a bigger discussion, why we're having such trouble in the churches with uh, them not teaching prophecy. Yeah. is because they have an Augustinian view of eschatology, and then they have Calvinism, so everything's decreed. So that means I'm not going to even be, be politically active, because uh, what's going to happen is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, what's the point? What's the point? You yeah. know, it, God's going to have his way. And it's like, Hey, that's that's coming from pagan fatalism. But yep. unfortunately, a lot of Christians believe that stuff. Yeah. And they don't care what's happening to the culture. Now, I understand prophecy where it's going, but I'm still going to be salt and light. I don't <laughs> just throw up my hands and say, well, it's all, it's all going down to Hades. Mm -hmm. I try to do everything I can because there is human freedom. Well, you know what? I'm going to stop you right there real quick because it's uh, you make a good point on your um, on your bio. You have two two um, passages of scripture that really impacted your life, and it's actually uh, I just kind of want to tie this into what you were just saying. Matthew twenty five fourteen and thirty, which is the parable of the talents. Yes. So it really kind of ties in with what you're saying. What's the point then? I mean, if we go down the route of fatalism, I'm just going to sit, you know, on my laurels and not do yeah. anything. Because, hey, at the end, it's just all going to be what it's going to be, and there's no point in me doing anything. Right. And why would God have put that, you know, the parable in there of the talent? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, fatalism takes away all responsibility. That's what it does. And, and this is unfortunate because it's happened in the church. And this is why the church is ineffective. Because fatalism, under the guise of Calvinism, or under the guise of uh, this is what the Word of God teaches— has taught Christians to sit on their hands. And this is why we lost the culture. Yeah. This is what happened. The inactivity of churches because of Calvinism. Well, it's just going to be how it is. And this is God's will and this and that. And so um, the parable of talent shows you that, no, I'm giving you uh, time, talent, and treasure mm -hmm. to be a good steward of this. And you're supposed to make an interest on it. Right. But what happened to the church at large, if you want to put the parable on the church, the church went and buried its talent sure. due to bad theology. And the church refused to teach prophecy because what does it matter? What does it matter that people need to know the end times? It's going to happen no matter what. And so prophecy was jettisoned because of fatalism. Yeah. That's one of the reasons, not all of the reasons. Sure, but, absolutely. But you can realize, okay, there, there's the problem with the culture war. It's lost. It's gone. We're not getting the culture back. Yeah. But because people just said it is what it is and God's in control, um, they let it go. Yeah, sure. They actually retreated from society. Yeah. And, and that's perfect because actually um, I really wanted to touch on the subject. I've, I've talked to Eric quite a bit about this because – 
it's difficult for me to wrap my mind around the fact that the church was given the responsibility, not, how do I say this without sounding, um, well, I'll just say it. it, it was a big task, but it was a simple task, right? Yeah, right. Uh, um, if, if, if that really makes any sense, we are, our job, and I, I don't like saying job, but our privilege and our calling as believers was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Yep. And the hope and the redemption offered because of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross. That seems pretty basic for us to be able to do that. So where along the way, I know we just talked about fatalism and Augustinianism, but where along the way, I mean, let's, let's bring it home. So U.S., okay? Yeah. Um, because I think the church, I don't want to put the church, you know, in one bunch because I see the church in Iran and the church in China. Yeah. And they're growing by leaps and bounds because of persecution, right? Yeah. Again, another passage that you have on your bio, the other one is Revelation 3, 7 and 13, which is the Church of Philadelphia. Yeah. Brotherly love. And I believe that church experienced quite a bit of persecution. Mm -hmm. And the Lord had zero bagel to say about that church. Yeah. So we bring it back to the U.S. And, um, you know, obviously I was born in 77, but David Reagan talks about a time when he was young, um, even into his young adult, where everything was closed on Sundays. People expected, yeah. whether you believed in God or not, there was this underlying respect for the things of God. You know what I mean? Sure. And so somewhere between maybe the turn of the century, I don't know. Yeah. Something we, we took, we started taking a left turn and then that got accelerated, I would imagine, in the 50s. Was yeah. it the 50s when prayer and Bible reading got taken out of schools? Um, mm -hmm. where, where did it really, really pick up speed? What happened? Where did yeah. the church in America go wrong? Okay. Well, I'll give the long answer and the short answer. And what I mean by long is I'll explain where it started. It started mm -hmm. in the late 1800s in Germany with, um, with Western Christianity starting to get into what we call German higher criticism. And they were criticizing, the, obviously, the, the, the authority of the Bible, the authenticity, the who wrote the who wrote Exodus, who wrote Genesis, all that kind of stuff started happening. It happened in Germany, but then it spread to the United States in the early 1900s. From then, that's when you had the fundamentalist movement that separated from what was happening with the liberals uh, in the early 1900s, and they, they developed five fundamentals, and that's why they're called fundamentalists mm -hmm. anyway it continued on so it had already started and what what happened in the in the early 1900s is that satan infiltrated the seminaries uh, yeah. and that was the fountainhead of where it all began in the united states so the higher criticism the liberalism comes into the seminaries and the first instance that we had of this was at union theological seminary in new york city and it was a, a it, it cranked out a lot of Presbyterian pastors that were Orthodox, conservative, and and it got infiltrated. And then once it was infiltrated, it spread throughout the whole country, at least in Presbyterianism. 
Right. But that same example that happened at Union Theological Seminary started happening at all the American seminaries of all denominations. Satan infiltrated with the, with wrong theology, and then that was taught. And so liberalism was introduced into the United States to the seminaries. So, so anyway, yeah. sorry, I'm gonna let's pause right there real quick because again, I have a lot of questions in my mind, and I'm wondering. The theology that they were teaching back then, obviously, if I mean, man, we fast forward to nowadays, it's straight up heresy, the stuff they're teaching. Yeah, yeah, right. You know what I mean? So back then, what do you know exactly, or even one or maybe two aspects of bad theology they were teaching, and then these pastors went out and started disseminating that amongst their congregations? Yeah, the big one was their version of hermeneutics, and that, and hermeneutics is obviously the the, the biblical the biblical interpretation, how you interpret the Bible. The big thing that came from higher criticism is that the scriptures um, are written by men, not by God. So they strip the scriptures of its authority. Got it. These are just stories by men. They're good moral stories, but they got stripped of their authority. So once you're stripped of authority, and it's just a, a little story, Noah's Ark is a story, uh, Genesis is just a, a story, it's meant to teach a moral lesson, not so much a history lesson. Right. That stripped the Bible of its authority, and that's where the, the, the foundation was undermined at that point in time. Sure. So it's the way they interpreted Scripture at that point. The second thing was, is that allegory and spirituality, sorry, allegory and spiritualization of the text started infiltrating from from what was happening in europe right and what that meant was that um and, and and augustine it goes back to augustine and in origin and stuff like that but they started spiritualizing the text so israel all of a sudden doesn't mean israel yeah israel means the church yeah you can pour whatever meaning you want into israel or whatever so we're so now what happened is replacement theology. The church became Israel. Um, you know, things didn't mean what they mean. It, you just couldn't read the scripture on your own. And unless you had a, a priest or a pastor or somebody interpret what that means for you. So, so take this, for example, go to the book of Revelation. When they read about the Antichrist, what did they say? Well, it's the a system. It's it means evil. It means whatever. It's not a man that's coming in the future. It was whatever they said it to mean. It, they spiritualized it, and that that right there, those two things, I would say at the core of it, started undermining other th theology, like the deity of Christ, like the virgin birth, like the second coming. And so that's how the five fundamentals developed out of that is because they started, once you start doing that to scriptures, they start denying that Jesus was born of a virgin. Sure. They denied the second coming. Um, well, it's spiritual. He's not really coming back. And right there, that's how it happened as an example. And the inerrancy of scripture has to go out the window. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's not it's not infallible. It's not inerrant anymore because these were stories written by men and men make mistakes. And they started doing look at all the mistakes the scriptures supposedly have and people bought into it. Well, that set the tone for America. That was the undermining of the foundation. And then you throw in there the 60s. Yeah. And the cultural revolution that was hijacked by Marxism and the sexual revolution. That was the tipping point. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, that was seeing, it. Yeah. We're seeing so much of that. I mean, I think we're, we're seeing the, uh, the fallout 
of all of that happening, right? Yeah, and Pandora's I, box was opened. Oh, huge, huge. What's what's amazing to me is that when you know, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we we have the Holy Spirit coming and dwell us. And prayerfully we have discernment. Yeah. Which for those that read Brandon's bio, if you guys get a chance, I'll link to the to the church website and um, read it. Even though it's four paragraphs, it's <laughs> no, it's it's no, I know it's four paragraphs. But if you really read it, there is so much in there that even relates to what we're talking about right now. Case in point, um, uh, you know those two scriptures that God used for you to start Rock Harbor. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing that you put here in your areas and emphasis of study, right? Because I'm not going to tell you, he's, he knows his stuff. Just go read his bio. <laughs> he's, he's got a lot of degrees. <laughs> but um, the area of emphasis include prophecy, and here it is, discernment. So discernment is also a gift, but yeah. you have to exercise it, right? right. You do. And where, where did discernment go? When did the death of discernment happen? Now, it's not completely dead, obviously, because... The Holy Spirit's still here. The restrainer's still here. And until the Lord doesn't come and take us away in the rapture, the Holy Spirit is going to do the work in and through the lives of believers. Mm-hmm. So there's discernment still happening. Yeah. There's a certain death that occurred with, to discernment, if you know what I'm, where I'm getting at. Where, do. Does that kind of all tie together? Yeah, and and I think it really came to a head in probably in the eighties. Um, you know, if you with wanna, what like, with what the church growth movement. Okay, the mega church, the, the mega church. Yeah, yeah. What you know, whatever you want to call it, seeker friendly yeah. mega church movement, uh, church growth movement. Um, what was happening back then? Um, and it, of course, all this builds up. It's building on each on each other. You know, all the way back to liberalism. But what happened at that point in time is. Um, guys who were not necessarily Christians were given advice to church leaders about how to grow a mega church. And so you have people like, you know, Peter Drucker giving advice to Bill Hybels and, and Rick Warren. And then you had other people, church growth gurus coming from the business world telling this is the way you grow a company. Well, a church is not a company, but on, on a pragmatic level, these churches, because they're, they were seeking nickels and noses, not so much spiritual growth. Right. Went and it does produce results. Now, it's not spiritual results because you'll get a lot of heads in the seats and you'll get a lot of money coming in the coffers. Um, so you do get worldly results from it. And that's what churches start la- uh, grasping onto. Okay. But how does that affect people's discernment? Well, it's this. The model called for the intentional dumbing down of the scriptures. Sure. It called for not teaching prophecy. It called for um, turning the church into an evangelism event rather for than for equipping the saints, which is what churches and Sunday mornings are supposed to be for. Sure. And uh, teaching at like maybe a second or third grade level. All that's all intentional. And because of that, you went through years and years and years of milk mm-hmm. okay so then when satan comes with his deception and it's on the level of meat deception not milk deception 
they can't deal with it. Yeah. They, they, they are overwhelmed by it. And so when, you know, when that happened, it, I, I call it the intentional dumbing down of the Christian in America. Yeah. And it did. Sure. I mean, did. you had people that had, that were Christians that didn't know the difference between Job and Job. Yeah. Um, you know, they couldn't even, they couldn't even tell you who the 12 disciples were or, or, you know, anything like that. Basic Bible one-on-one yep. in the, in the pulpits turned into pep talks, uh, having your best day, um, best life ever. Yeah. Best life ever type of stuff. And that was the message that sold and it did sell. I will say this, but no one was ever taught the scriptures. Yeah. Let alone prophecy. Forget that. You don't teach prophecy in the church growth movement. You just don't. Yeah. It's not part of the equation. And so I think, so now we're here, we are in 2021 and people are clueless spiritually. They can't point out anything that's happening, you know, prophetically because they're just not there. Yeah. And so discernment died when the churches adopted, I think, the church growth movement. Yeah. And and it's crazy because what I see happening too is we have this um what is this interfaith movement now where yeah. you know yeah. it it's insane and people don't like you said, they don't recognize it, even if it's staring at them right in the face, because um, I'll say this time and time and time again, when you don't know this yeah, right yeah. here, you're easy prey. You're totally easy prey to any kind of doctrine that just comes along and surfaces and you just applaud it. People will applaud it and go, well, if the pastor is saying that, then it must be true yeah. because he knows more than I do. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't question anything and, and just kind of sit there and, and, you know, like good little robots. Um, but like you said, what I see happening is there's this spiritual battle. You kind of alluded to it in the beginning is there's this duality. Obviously it's going to happen in the tribulation, but you're going to have the spiritual battle and then the physical battle. Yeah. But what I see happening lately, especially within the church is that this spiritual battle has spilled into the physical, meaning we are seeing it now. It's so emboldened. It is so up front and center. And you would imagine that the church as a whole would maybe take notice and go, whoa, you know what I mean? We we really need to take a step back. This, this isn't right. Something doesn't seem right. You know, go back into the scriptures and dig yeah, in yeah. and be a Berean. But what I'm seeing is almost like, dude, Let's put this in fifth gear and let's floor it, right? Yeah, right. With this whole social justice movement, yeah. um, critical race theory. I mean, you could just take the, the race part out. It's just called critical theory because you could always just fill in the blank with whatever with it is you want yeah, it yeah. to be. Mm -hmm. And so we have, especially in 2020, 2020 seemed to have turned everything into warp speed. What do you think? Yeah, and I, I everything did go into warp speed. I think uh, what I'm seeing is the it's the the birth pains that the Lord talked about that sure. it gets more intense and more frequent uh, as the baby's getting ready to deliver. Um, and 2020 showed something spiritual that was going on in the church, and I I, I call it the great revealing. Mm -hmm. So everything you're saying is totally accurate. The wokeism, the critical race theory that got introduced. Um, um, basically, people you know would tell me um, that. Uh, you know, 
their church shut down and followed whatever governor, uh, the governors of this other state told them to do and never reopened. And then when they did reopen a, a year later, all of a sudden the pastor's in the pulpit apologizing for his whiteness and making yeah. everyone in the church apologize for their whiteness. And something happened. Um, these, these pastors were shown really for who they are that we have had an enemy within for a long, long time. And I believe this last year revealed that enemy, revealed the kind of pastors that were in these pulpits, and then they, they emerge and unabashedly, unashamedly, you know, getting on their knees, like, uh, like uh, uh, what's his name, Max Licato, and apologizing yeah. for yeah. his whiteness. Yeah. What in the world? Okay, well, I think it's revealed. Sure. And it revealed how bad and corrupt the church really was for, for a long time. It was just hidden. And so the, the spiritual lawlessness that's happening um, was in the church, too. Yeah. And, and, and so all these churches now are on the, the Babylonian ticket for wokeism yeah. and for, you know, whatever ism. And it really just shows you where these guys were at to begin with. So I think it begs a question, and I know I know the answer. I know you do, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Okay. Is, is there a sifting going on? Did God, did the sifting process begin? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll take that as a yes, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll take you that as a yes. Man. Um, boy, howdy. And you know, you, you use the parable of the, you know, from Matthew 13 about the, the wheats and the tares growing up together. Yep. And it's just, he goes, um, let's not separate them to the harvest. Well, the harvest represents the last days, right? Last day of the, the, the growing cycle. And so I think we're now seeing that sifting that's happening and who is the real deal and who isn't. And it's even, yes, the wheat and the tares, yeah, are now being made evident. And, and towards the end of harvest, the, the thing that about that parable is you can tell a tear at the end at the harvest time, you can only tell the difference at the harvest time. Right. They turn gray or a black color versus the wheat. And I think now what God's showing you is that the tears are turning black. They're showing their true color, so sure. to speak. And that's why they're easy to spot. So you have that sifting going, but let's get a little bit even more fine tooth. There is a sifting going on even in the believing aspect of the church as well that you have uh, apostasy happening, yeah. that people who once held uh, biblical positions are now no longer holding them anymore. You have the Laodicean element that's coming out where they're indifferent, they're useless to the Lord. Yeah. And, and then you have the carnality and the worldliness that's being revealed versus the true mature spiritual church, Philadelphia Smyrna church. Um, and so Laodicea is being contrasted with Philadelphia too. Sure. Yep. And that sifting is going on. And so people ask me, why is God doing that? Why is it important for me, uh, any believer to know, to see the Darnells versus the wheat? It's because this is the kind of times we're in and we need to know who's on our side and who isn't. Sure. We're in a war now. And this war has turned from spiritual into physical. We're going yeah. to see physical persecution if nothing stops this. So I think what God's trying to show us is who's on our side and who really isn't. 
who was faking it the whole time and and won't be on our side will be the very ones that turn us in yeah yeah and that's what's starting to happen christians yeah. so-called are turning on true believers well and it makes me wonder you know i always like to make sure that i preface the word christian with yeah the, right with professing christians right yes because there's definitely a difference there um yeah, yeah. you know like eric barger says and i love it he says uh, it's the time between now and the rapture that concerns me yeah, <laughs> you know right. what i'm saying yeah. and, and I, I think for most of us especially if you really know scripture if you know the bible um if you have a love for scripture and knowing it especially the end days right yeah we know what's coming because God lays it out very clear in scripture and it's not fun. I'm not, trust me, look, I'll be the first one to go. I am not looking forward to what's what lies ahead. If the Lord tarries and coming back for his bride, I really don't. Right. I think there's that thought, especially for those. And I'm going to speak here on behalf of parents with young kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. There is this, um, there's this wrestling that's going on in the mind of the believer that is looking for the Lord's return, longing for his appearing because we know it's at any moment, yet at the same time knowing I'm here, I've got a family, you know, I've got to direct my family, be a spiritual leader in, you know, um, traversing through these crazy times in the meantime while we're here. And at the same time, make sure that we're faithful to the call that God has placed on each one of our lives. And so there's this, there's this tug of war going on. And I know that I'm just a drop in the bucket. And there's a lot of us that feel that way. You know what I mean? I do. I and do. Um, so there are those out there and, and Jan calls them remnant. And, and yeah. in your bio, again, I'm going to come back to your bio. That's why I tell you guys, you got to read his bio. God led you not only to start a church, but tell us what kind of church. A church that would um, obviously speak the truth and, and not cover it up, speak prophecy, but would confront basically the, the apostasy that's happening, the Laodicean element, the apostasy that's going on in the church and not back down from that because that element is destroying the church. And so um, to have that freedom to, to speak the truth and not be edited, not be um, worried about offending people, oh, I'm going to offend this giver or that giver. We started the church entirely different, that we don't care who we offend. We're going to speak the truth yep. in love and with grace. But at the same time, if it offends you, the truth offends you, then you don't have to stay here. Because yeah. a lot of churches are not built like that. They're built on appeasing their donors sure and they play to that crowd who gives the most money that's typically how churches are ran and not all of them obviously there's a remnant element sure. but the majority of churches are are all about nickels and noses that's it that's yeah. why they don't say what they need to say because they're afraid of losing people and afraid of losing money so what's okay. the difference between what's the difference between that i don't see one a politician right who's God, <laughs> you, you know where I'm going with this. No, and, and I mean it. it, it really, there really is no difference, you know, because the politician doesn't want to say things that will offend those that have, you know, uh, donated to 
the cause or donated right. to, um, you know, their campaign and so, or big donors, you know what I'm saying? Lobbying. So in a sense, those big givers that these pastors don't want to offend, they're, they're lobbyists. <laughs> the way you know there really is no difference is there no and and the scripture calls them hirelings because they serve a different master they you know like jesus said you know you can't serve two masters sure so if you serve jesus he says um that you know don't be ashamed of me and my word and so a lot of pastors are ashamed of his word or his teachings and so they don't teach it they'll say they love jesus but then when it comes to confronting the LGBT agenda, confronting transgenderism, confronting Islam or whatever, they won't talk about that yeah. because they're ashamed of Jesus's words. That's how you tell that they're hirelings. Because if you're a true believer and you're called of God, you're called to speak the whole counsel of God and let it let it offend who it needs to offend. Sure. You know, um, but. You're totally right. That's what politicians do, but that's what the American church has been doing. Yeah. And I'm, again, not that's not st that stuff's not going on in third world Iran or uh, underground churches in China. That doesn't even exist. It exists in a culture like ours. Yeah. Um, where there's affluence and money and and look, the the biggest way to make money in religion is is to become a pastor and run a mega church. Yeah. Sell books. That's the biggest way to, and fastest way to make money. Yeah. And they have. Yeah, I know. But they're hirelings. They're hirelings because they're, they're doing it for filthy lucre. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, if if I'm a publisher and you write a book I don't like, I'll go, well, you either change this, this and that in your book or it's just not getting published. Right. You know, so they play the game. And and how many how many pastors or how many authors will say, you got it. What do you want me to change? You know, they say jump. You say how high. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and again, they're, they're going to justify it. They sure they will. will. Sure they will. Um, well, this is getting the word out. It's not how I want to, but at least it gets out. No, it's going to make you a million dollars. That's what yeah. it's going to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it always intrigues me the fact that I believe, from what I read in Scripture, that the Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus was. 100%, right? They did, absolutely. But they cared more about their positions and their money and what man said and what man believed than knowing that God incarnate was standing right in front of them and they were allowing him to get beat to a pulp. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And so there's, there's really no difference on a spiritual level, how many churches are allowing God to get, you know, beat up all over again and throw mud on his name and run him through the mud. And that's okay. You know, they think that's totally okay. I've got, you know, my pews are all filled or, you know, the linings of my pockets. I'm, you know, they're pretty padded. And so, yeah. again, I'm not making a generalized statement here. Unfortunately, it's the large majority. It's the large majority. Yeah. And I want you to, to think about this. You know, you're totally right. It's not that people are doing this in ignorance. Because like you point out the Pharisees, religious leaders, they knew exactly he was the Messiah. Sure. The Messiah gave a, a, a parable about them. And, and you know, um, but where the father sends the son and they say this, we will not have this man to rule over us. That's yeah. what it was. They yeah. knew who he was, but we're not going to have him rule over us. And the same is true in the churches. It's not, I don't, I don't believe a lot of these guys who are doing what they're doing are doing this in ignorance. Um, because eventually you would wake up and repent and you would say, man, I, I can't believe I lost it. 
they're doing very sophisticated things, mm -hmm. which takes thought and, and, and a lot of engineering of things to happen. So much so that um, they know if they go against the culture, the wokeism that's going on right now, that they're going to lose their congregation. They're going to lose their money that's coming in. Sure. So they are skillfully going along with the culture, whether it's Max Locato, whether it's uh, um, Rick Osteen. Warren or Joel Osteen or, or whatever, um, they're going to go along with it because they know that's what sells in the culture and that's the trend and they're going along with it so it, it, it's likened to the pharisees no doubt about it and your analogy or your your sorry your, your correlation with them is spot on and I, I i don't think max locato was dumb about this oh i don't i don't think um i'm trying to go with some names andy stanley or or um any of these other types of guys, any uh, of the guys in what what's called the new apostolic reformation movement, right? Even th those guys, I don't think they are ignorant. Bill, uh, uh, Bill Johnson. Oh yeah. From, um, um that's from that, Bethel that's church. Yeah. Up there at Bethel church, what he's doing. Yeah. And I think what you start realizing is, so this is not through ignorance. No, no, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Just like the religious leaders of the day. And the crazy thing is that there's so many that are just following them. Yeah. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. And it's the sheeple, you know. And um, so so there's a two two part to blame on this. You blame, obviously, the infiltration by these hirelings. Yeah. But then you blame the people uh, who continue to sit there Sunday after Sunday and give money to those people um, and not not waking up themselves. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I've been in the ministry for a long time. You've Pablo, you've got to hear some of these people's excuses, why they stay in these bad churches and they know it's a bad church mm -hmm. and they still give money to it, but they'll say, my friends are there. Or I grew up in this church or this is where I got saved or, or some thing like that. And it's like, okay, but that was then this is now. Yeah. Your pastor's apostate now. And, you, and, and like someone one time was confronted about giving to one of these churches that are apostate. And they said, that's not my concern. My concern is just to give. <laughs> and I don't care what they do with the money. And we're, we, we said, that is so backwards thinking. Yeah. You are responsible for where your money goes. You just don't get to mail it off to the apostate church and say, yeah. that's their business. And, and like Billy Corona said, that kind of person is part of the problem. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I'll take it even a step further. Um, you know, we went to a, um, gosh, I'm going to just say, it. I don't care. We went to eat breakfast, not, you know, a week ago. And it's nice to see when people will bow their heads in public and pray. Sure. I, I think that's great. You know what I mean? But I'll tell you this. <laughs> you know, you kind of don't know what to do. Do you, do you give people a piece of your mind when you hear something like this, bow their heads, they start praying and they were so close. Thank you, Lord, you know, for, um, our new president, president Biden. Oh, who, no. Yeah. Who's gonna, who's gonna save our country. Oh no. Wow. So as much, you know, if we don't laugh, we cry, right. About that's, these things. Because wow, that's insane. Yeah, and it shows. It really just shows the heart of man and how um, how deceived they are, 
and really just ties back to what you just said. Where are you getting this stuff from? You know, where are you well, getting this? Yeah. I mean, you see some of these churches that, um, that actually oppose Donald Trump. And again, I'm not taking a side or whatnot, sure. but let, let's just, let's just review this as a Christian on the election. I'm going to vote for people who are the closest to me, yeah. uh, who are pro-life, pro-Israel, you know, pro- Pro-marriage. Pro-marriage, <laughs> all that stuff, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote with someone that's closely in line. I know I'm not voting for a pastor, so his personal antics, okay, I don't agree with, but at the end of the day, his policies is what I'm, are what sure. I'm voting for, for goodness sake. And yeah. Christians could even get through that because their pastors and their religious leaders were telling them, no, you can't vote for him because he's just a bad guy. You got to vote for Biden. Yeah. A vote for Biden is a vote for abortion. Sure. hundred percent. It's a, 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 a vote for undermining the nuclear family. Uh, Anti-Israel. Anti-Israel, anti-Semiticism. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the radicals about, you know, and I don't even have to get political about the, the Marxism and communism that they, no. they have. No, no. Um, but Christians were voting for that guy. Well, and they're still, I guess the thing is, if these last, how, how long has it been? 60, 70, 80 days? Seems like it's been 10 years. I know, right? Right? If, yeah. if, if people aren't smart enough, which I'm, I'm not even going to give them that much credit, to realize the damage that's already been done just in 60 days, you know what I mean? And unfortunately, I'll say this much, my prayer, and I mean this, is that he would, and see, I don't even know, he's a shell now. And so it's really difficult for me to really make the statement. But yeah. I pray that at some point, the man really surrenders his life to the Lord. And sure. I, I don't say that lightly. I really do. Right. You know, we're supposed to pray for those that are in, in positions right. of, you know, leadership. But there are those that will take that to the grave. And it's a sad thought to think that they're willing to squander their eternity. I mean, wow, we're talking about eternity here, which is such a difficult concept for us who live in the construct of time to understand. But there's the, there's so many that um, the, the church is embattled within the church. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah, yeah. this battle raging not only on the outside of the church, politically, morally, and you could just kind of go down the list, but where it seems like there's the fighting has intensified, especially this last year, to the umpteenth level. Yeah. Has been within the church. Absolutely. Name calling and who Pastor Tom Hughes just said on Sunday um, on his last you know talk he gave. At the prophecy conference, he said, I had friends, pastor friends, who will not talk to me anymore because I chose to keep the doors of my church open. Right. right. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I don't I don't know if you've gone through that, but I'm sure Pastor Tom Hughes is, is a drop in the bucket. Oh, you know, of course. Yeah. I mean, I've had the same criticism. I, you know, I killed people. Yeah. By keeping the church open. I mean, and the criticism not only just coming from the outside world, and I expect that totally. That's no skin off my nose if the outside world criticizes me. My most of my criticism comes from other Christians from other churches that are, you know, Laodicean, and they viciously attack me. Yeah. And and I get my worst attacks from other so-called Christians. 
Yeah, Pastor J.D. Farag says the same thing. Yeah. Same thing. It, and so, you know, I I, I don't forget who I was talking about with this, but maybe it was Eric. But I said, um, I never thought, I, when I interpreted that passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 about the scoffing that would come about you know, prophecy in the second sure. coming, I, I thought that was more outside, but it's more inside. So that those who teach prophecy and teach what's going on current events are getting them scoffing from other believers. Yeah. And I, I didn't know it would be not only outward, but inward as well. And, um, and, and by people, Pablo, that honestly, I don't even think they've ever read the scriptures. They couldn't be making the statements they're making and having read the scriptures. You just couldn't make the kind of statements they make. Sure. And so they're, they're attacking, you know, JD, myself, whoever, Tom Hughes, based on ignorance. Yeah. But I think it's willful. I, I think it it's willful. I, I really do think it's willful. I don't, because somebody that's willing to learn will actually sit down and say, wait, okay, well, what do you mean? You know what I mean? Show me yeah. where, you know, let's have a discussion about this because I'm sure you've shared Christ with many people. And I, you can tell when you're sharing Christ with somebody, those that just want to engage in an argument with you. And they're right. just there to argue with you. They don't care. You know, Don Stewart said he was talking to a, a J-Dub once, Je Jehovah's Witness. I call him J-Dubs. <laughs> but Jehovah's Witness once, and he said, hey, if I, can, if I can prove to you, you know, what Scripture says are everything and rebuttal everything via Scripture, would you change? And he said, no. Yeah. There you and, go. And, and that's where we're at nowadays. Not everybody, again, I'm not making a blanket statement, but I think the large majority of people, large. you know, just want, they know what they're doing and they're yeah. doing it willfully. You right. know what I mean? And so, yeah. And, and what you're seeing in the, the culture about, even if you bring facts and evidence about any subject, if it goes against their narrative, it doesn't matter. Sure. And that's what I've seen with Christians, so-called, and I put that in air quotes yeah. because I don't know where they're at. But even if I show them scripture, even if I give them a, 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 um, a dissertation about whatever subject it is, they don't care. They actually won't read it because they have a narrative in their head, sure. and that's going against their narrative. Sure. That's what I've seen in the church, and that's... That's typically where the scoffers are coming from is they have a narrative and not willing to let's, Hey, let's dialogue about this passage. Uh, whatever that might be. Yeah. No, it won't do it. Yeah. And, and another thing before we move on, cause I, I know you're busy. Um, we'll have yeah. to do this again. Yeah. Well, absolutely. We'll definitely do this. Cause I know a lot of people, um, there is a remnant of people that yes. are looking for discussions like these because um, I try to ask questions, not only that I have at times, but I try to ask questions that I think I've heard in a large majority of those that are hungry to want to know what is happening in the times we're living in. Now, what does that mean for us? You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I really try to keep this, uh, uh, I, I want to keep the dialogue open because there are so many questions it's impossible to keep up with. Yeah. But one of the things that the Lord points out in um, Matthew chapter 24 and I just want to read that verse real quick. It says, um, this is when they went to the Mount of Olives, him and his yeah. disciples. And 
It says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars, rumors, and J.D. Farag has said that war. I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. Not even going to say I do. You probably do. But the word rumors is also threats. Could mean threats of wars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. See that you're not troubled. I like the fact that he put that because when we see that, I get troubled sometimes, right? Yeah. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And this is the part I wanted to get to you. For nation will rise against nation. The word nation, why don't you tell us what that means, the word nation against well, nation? Yeah, well, you, man, you, you're a sharp cookie, man. <laughs> I don't know about that. You centered in on it because what you're just describing in that passage is the timepiece for the last days. It's the start of the last days. So, man, um, you've done some research. So ethnos, uh, typically uh, it could be translated, um, but nations. Uh, in Hebrew, it's goyim, the Gentiles, whatever. Could that mean race? A race of people? It can mean race, yes. Ab okay. Absolutely. You can have that uh, as part of it. But the, the, the term nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom mm -hmm. uh, could be ethnos against ethnos, racism against racism, uh, whatever. But that actually is a rabbinic term. And it is a rabbinic term that was very well known in Jesus' day to refer to world war. And so his answer into the three questions posed by the, the apostles in the Olivet Discourse, what is the sign of your return? What is the sign of the destruction of the temple? And what is the sign of the end of the age? He answers the, the sign of the end of the age with that verse. Yeah. When, when you nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, when you see world war, then you know. That's when the last days have started. Okay. So the interpretation of that is, well, then I'm supposed to look into history and find out when did we ever get past regional skirmishes into a world war? Well, most people will tag World War I. And that World War II was a continuation of World War I. That being the case, there was famines, there was earthquakes and pestilences that followed with World War I at the same time. If that is what Messiah meant, and I do believe it is, it meant that the, when World War I started, is that was the, the clock ticking down for the last days. The only thing we don't know about that is how long the last days end. But... When you and I say we're living in the last days, I can say that based on the rabbinic term Messiah used about world war. So the sign has been given that the last days have started. Sure. How long it goes, I don't know. But um, that being the case, I have evidence by the Messiah to, to say that. So when a Christian says, well, it's there's cycles and it's always been like this and they go they, there's a fourth turning and there's that wait a second never in history world history has there ever been a world war until world war one mm -hmm. and therefore the sign has been given yeah and i'm going to throw in there may 15th 1948 correct yes and so you then coupled with that uh, signpost of world war then you have the requirement that the tribulation has to have, which is the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. There's the, and those two big one, two punches 
signify you're definitely in the last days because you know you'll hear people say well you know satan didn't know the timing of anything and so you know he's had a man always ready yeah but he's a little bit smarter than that mm-hmm. he knows nothing's going to go down until the nation of israel exists sure. and it, it started existing as a nation because in order in order for the temple to be rebuilt in order for the antichrist to do a deal uh with the nation of israel israel has to exist yeah, as a nation absolutely so when you're when you're pointing out 1948 and you couple that with world war one bingo yeah you're there yeah and then in 67 they took the mountains of israel which are required for ezekiel then they took the old city which is required for the t- rebuilt temple yeah. and now there's talks about rebuilding the temple on the temple mount and the muslims letting them that's right yeah you just why don't you just real quick tell us what, what was that three weeks ago maybe yeah Michael? i did a prophecy update on on a, a, a new thing that's emerging um about sympathy towards the jews you got all these muslims now coming out muslim leaders too out of saudi arabia saying hey look man the temple mounts theirs there's nothing in the quran or hadith about uh jerusalem um that belongs to the jews that's the eternal capital of the jews and yeah. it's blowing people away but they're the, the, the sentiment now is leaning towards the Jews building their temple. Sure. We've never seen that before. And the Abraham Accords have a lot to do with that. They do. They played right into that. And, yeah. and obviously, you know, the Saudis or anybody are not going to do a deal without getting something in return. Of course. Of <laughs> so course. The, the, big, the, the, the big deal that they don't, they don't like is Iran. They don't want Iran running the whole show over there. So they realize, okay, Israel's against them. Let's partner up with these guys. And, and basically, you know, Israel's military power is like second to ours. It's oh, yeah, 100%. Unbelievable. Well, and I think the Saudis, the Saudis are not looking to us anymore. For That's help. right. The That's Saudis right. are now looking more towards Israel as yeah. their chums and their buds to protect you got them. Got it. You know what I mean? And that's why this alliance is starting to happen. And that's why I think you're starting to see the sentiment go in a different direction about the Temple Mount. And hey, maybe we should allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, you know, we had all these other different theories. Well, it's it's from Gog and Magog war. It's from the Antichrist doing a deal and allows them to rebuild his temple. It may not be that. It might be the sentiment of the Abrahamic Accords (laughs) allows Israel to rebuild their temple, at least next to the mosque or something like that. You know, sure. There's belief that it, you know, it's it's right next to it. You know, yeah. Minus minus the the outer court, you know, where the Gentiles can, can right. belong. And so and and so that's something that's just occurred recently. And it's it's very interesting. And and again, it's leading more into the end times, obviously. But all this can't happen unless the Jews are back in the land as a nation. And they have been. And they have been. They have been. And I no, will no, say no. this. Um, where we just read you know, wars, rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, pestilences and uh, famines. And even though those things have been happening for quite some time, I think 2020 should be a big wake up call to everybody because I think what it's done more than it being this true, it did exist, I believe it, okay? There's a virus. It's unfortunately yeah. it's taken the life of of many people. But I'm going to say this: what I see the bigger picture is conditioning. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think we're at a, yeah, we're at a point now 
And I don't want to limit the distribution of this video. I will get into it some other time with you, with Derek. It'd be kind of cool if we did, uh, you know, uh, all three of us. I think that would be fabulous. Yeah. Um, a roundtable discussion would be amazing. But I'll say this much. I think we've been conditioned. People have been conditioned to just say, give me a mark. I don't care. You know what I mean? If it Absolutely. means for me to buy or sell normal, or I can go back to life as normal, That's right. I could totally see it now. I never thought I would this quick. I never thought I would see people be so willing to be guinea pigs yeah. you know, and pin cushions. Um, but it really just shows the times that we're in and how close we are to that trumpet sounding and we're out of here. That's right. And boy, does that bring hope. Boy, does that bring just, um, it really makes everything pale. Yeah. Every, everything happening. And, and there's so, that bittersweet element that we talked yes, about. Yeah. That's yeah. a onset. And, 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 you know, like what Mr. Masai said, I am my programs like this. When you see these things begin to happen. Luke 21, 28, I was going to get right? that. Go ahead. You know, look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. So there, there's the bittersweet. All these things are bad. It's negative and it's evil and wickedness and yikes, it's bad. But at the same time, Messiah is saying, yeah, but keep the other narrative in mind. I'm coming back. That means I'm, I'm, I'm right at the door. Yeah. I'm right at the door. Yeah. And so there's that, there's that element that gives us the hope, the, the blessing, the, the blessed hope, as it's called, you know, um, like, oh, my goodness, I'm closer to seeing Jesus now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And there's where the joy and the peace and all that comes in yeah. as we watch all this negativity going on in the world. Yep. And I'm going to, I'm going to step out here on a limb and I'm going to say, I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm not putting words in Brandon's, uh, Brandon's mouth. This is me saying this. Okay. So don't write him any emails. If you want to write me, you can write me emails all you want. I'll probably just get deleted anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Emails. But I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are at the cusp of the rapture of the church. I really believe that as much as we think it's close, it's closer than we think it is. Yeah. Um, and it should cause each and every one of us, for those that really are in Christ, to really buckle down and get our priorities in order, to get our affairs in order, if you haven't done so already, because it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. And yeah. that's hopeful to me. That's yeah, hopeful yeah. to me to know that at any moment, you know, just yesterday, my, my son loves watching the Left Behind series. And I think they're great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it really, for a second there, when we were watching it, the thought that at any moment I get to meet my Savior. Yeah. I mean, right. dude, how much better can that be? Anything you might want here on earth right. is totally pale in comparison to seeing Jesus Christ face to face. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just this, it really wells up this, oh man, this, this desire and this longing and this excitement to know that at any moment that trumpet's going to sound and we're out of here. Yeah. We're out of here. And for the believer, you know, for us, that's exciting. But for those that are in Christ, if you're listening to this and you're and you haven't really surrendered your life to Christ, you're playing church, or you're just going there, like Brandon said, my friends go there, you know, whatever you can fill in the blank. Um, you're playing church, 
you're playing Christianity. And trust me, you may be fooling other people, but you're not fooling Jesus Christ. You're not fooling mm -hmm. the Lord, and he knows. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you can have that hope and that assurance, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Brandon. Why don't you tell people how they can have the assurance of heaven? Well, it starts with a relationship, not religion, obviously. And um, Messiah offers that eternal life to anyone who believes. You have to see that the scripture says that we're sinners, that we are in need of a savior, that we're separated from God. And we can die two deaths, a physical death and a, and a spiritual death. And that spiritual death could be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. It wasn't created for us. It was created for the devil and his angels. But nonetheless, God has to quarantine sin because he is a holy God, a righteous God. But he's a loving and gentle and compassionate God that offers his son who lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. Went to the cross, paid for all of our sins, past, present and future, buried rose on the third day and offers eternal life to anyone who will simply believe. If you will just simply believe in your heart uh, who Messiah is and the work he did on the cross for you, understand your spiritual condition, that you're in spiritual poverty and you're in need of justifications, uh, you're in need of righteousness that comes from the Messiah, that he can give you that through his death on the cross, then you can have that eternal life. If you will simply just believe. And at that point, you receive the Holy Spirit at that point, you receive eternal life that can never be taken away and you will have the assurance that no matter what happens to you in this life, whether you should die or uh, even be raptured, that you will be in the presence of God forever because of Jesus Christ. Amen. So why don't we, why don't you lead us in a prayer, if you sure. wouldn't mind, for those that might want to and just for closing this amazing time. This is good. Great. Father, we just come before you and uh, Lord, anyone that's listening that uh, hasn't placed their faith in Messiah in Jesus Christ, uh, I pray they would pray just a simple prayer of sincerity from their heart, Lord, that uh, that uh, something like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I believe you died on a cross for me and paid the payment for my sins. I believe you were buried and I believe that you rose on the third day. I ask you now to come into my life. I receive you as my savior and my Lord and my God. Save me now and take me to be with you if I should die, or if I'm I should be raptured, let me see your face. I pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, cool. Well, for those of you that have made that decision, uh, we would I'd love to hear about it. I'm sure Pastor Brandon would too. You can go ahead and uh, hit me up, emails uh, down below. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, please uh, let me know. We'll get a Bible to you and um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you were blessed, encouraged, and challenged. Until the next one, see ya.